Hello and welcome, everybody. This is the District Download, episode number 32 of the podcast. I'm your host, Bill Dumay, the Executive Vice Chair for the D.C. Young Republicans. And folks, we have a phenomenal guest for you this week's episode. This episode has been a long time in the making because she's been all over the place, knocking doors, winning elections, and now she's running as a candidate in her own right for her hometown seat. So, I'm so excited to share that Catherine Whiteford is our guest for this episode. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about some of the things she's been doing in North Carolina, how she got involved in politics, and really what are some of her issues that are are her drive for what she does. But the views and opinions expressed during today's episode are our own and no way represent the views, opinions, or policy positions of our respective employers. This is meant to be a free exchange of topics relevant to wires based in D.C. and beyond. Don't at me. Now, without further ado, let's get right into the interview. All right, folks, we've got a fantastic episode for you tonight. I'm so proud to have Catherine Whiteford on the podcast. This is a huge get for us. She's just an absolute dynamo. And before we get into introducing her, I just want to give her a little bit of uh, background before she gets into it. But she was originally from Texas, turned North Carolinian, current resident of Concord, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. She's elected as chairwoman of the North Carolina Federation of Young Republicans. And at the time of her election, she was one of the youngest state chairs in the nation at the time and has been since reelected the second term. So glad to have you tonight. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. So right off the top, let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What should our listeners know? Uh, Tell us who is Catherine Whiteford? Yeah, so I feel like I'm probably going to go over a couple of your different questions because I feel like if you know a little bit about me, some like why I got involved in politics, who I am kind of all mingles together. But um, to know a little bit about me, um, I got I not from a political background originally my family was not politically involved um my dad is a pastor in the orthodox church he's a russian orthodox priest we are not russian which is very confusing um and then my mom is chinese and so i'm half chinese and my grandparents and my mom immigrated from communist china when she was 16. and so Um, They fled communism and personally experienced what a lot of people are trying to push um, in America these days. And so like my grandparents were and my my mom were on meat rations every month and my grandparents would go without eating any meat um, so that my mom and her sister um, could have that. And they would just have rice with some sort of sauce to make it taste better. Um, and they would also, my grandfather was actually in one of those, um, re-education internment camps when they were still in China and they moved here, um, to Texas, Houston, Texas, where they moved originally. And they moved here, not really speaking the language very well. Um, my grandparents, um, my grandfather worked at McDonald's when it was still minimum wage, not $18 an hour. Like it is right now, apparently With benefits, right? With benefits <laughs> back when it was still minimum wage and, uh, he didn't know how to drive. So he would be biking to and from even in the rain to provide for his family. And they were able to get themselves to being middle-class and they became legal citizens and uh, they're the epitome of the American dream. And they moved here for just the opportunity to have a better life. And they didn't want anything handed to them. They wanted to work hard and make something of themselves. And so they're a huge inspiration as to why I've gotten involved in politics. And there's some other things which I can get into later, but uh, that's a little bit about me. So that's a really, you know, we all are a family, you know, our nation is a family of immigrants, essentially. We all have our unique story of getting here. And yours is uniquely profound in that, um, you know, it's coming from communist China. Uh, it's it's a little bit more recent, say, from other people. I'm not one of the families that came over here on the Mayflower. I can't claim that. Um, but, you know, I had a few ancestors come through Ellis Island. So that's really foundational. Uh, and it seems like uh, you're very much about the family. Is that important yeah, to you? Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't look as Asian as my sister does. So I have people at the Asian market think that I'm the adopted one. Oh my uh, God. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so they're definitely very family oriented. 
Yeah. And so you actually bridged pretty well with my next question that I typically ask right off the top is just how did you get involved in politics? And even with that, how did you get involved in Republican politics? Was it something that you came upon accidentally? Um, but given your story, your family's story, has it been something that's always been welled up inside you that you knew you wanted to do? Curious to know. Yeah. So my grandfather, well, not my, not my grandfather, my father has always been politically aware and has always kept up with politics. Um, obviously, my family is very conservative, Orthodox, the Orthodox Church is very conservative. Um, and so I grew up around that and I was homeschooled my entire education. And that was in part because they wanted us to not be indoctrinated in public schools. Um, and so, but my dad was always reading the Drudge Report back when it was still conservative and, uh, paying attention to things, but he was, he was never politically involved just because he worked a full-time job as a state employee. And then also as a full-time pastor, had a, had a theological podcast, wrote a book, had a theological blog. So he was just kind of doing all sorts of things, um, keeping busy. And, um, and so that wasn't the reason why I got involved. I mean, we always, um, what, whoever my dad said we would, should vote for is who we voted for. And we voted for every single, in every single election, um, including dog catcher. But, um, but that was not really the reason it was, um, kind of going back a little bit. I mentioned that, you know, my grandparents immigrated here and because of all of that, you know, my mom ended up having to become pretty much the primary caretaker for my grandparents, where a lot of the time where she should have been homeschooling me and my sister, it ended up being that she would have to take care of them and take them to all of their doctor's appointments because they had a lot of residual health issues from malnutrition um, and, and so on. And so they were constantly going to the doctor. She would have to not only take them there, um, which would be about an hour out of the suburbs of Houston to go to downtown. Um, she would also have to be there the entire time to translate for them uh, from Chinese to English um, to be able, for them to understand medical terminologies. So that ended up becoming basically a full-time job for her where, you know, I think that she, they did, my parents, I think did the best that they could with what they were given. Um, and also in Texas, the mandatory testing requirements for homeschooling is basically non-existent. So it's like, oh, we'll see you when you're 18, hopefully, and we'll see what happens, but there's no testing. Um, in North Carolina, there's like a yearly mandatory testing, but in Texas, it's very limited government. Um, and so around the third grade is when my mom basically said to me, you're going to teach yourself from now on. And that was, you know, very challenging just because there were certain things that I didn't, there were just things that I could not inherently understand that I was kind of struggling with. Um, thankfully I got a good foundation with reading and writing from my dad, but, um, but it was a very tough upbringing. And also it was very hard for me to talk about it to other kids because I felt like, okay, I should be able to get this stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, most of these other kids had some, a teacher that was showing them these things. So it was where I, I think that I, a lot of my self-confidence issues stem from that time, because I was worried that if I contributed too much into conversations, that at some point, somebody's going to bring up something like a math question, <laughs> and then I'm not going to know, <laughs> excuse me, and that I would be exposed for being dumb. Um, and so there, it, there was a lot of time where I just felt like, I don't know how I could be integrated into a public school. I'm so far behind. And as time went on, that feeling grew more so. And so I was just struggling because I felt like there was a lot of opportunities that I could have had if I had had a normal upbringing that I just didn't. Um, and there was a lot of things that I would have liked to have done. And I just was like, oh, I don't know if that's even possible now. Um, and so that was when I was kind of struggling to figure out, okay, what can I do? Um, cause I think that all of us, especially us that are in politics somewhere deep down, we got involved because we wanted to make the world a better place. We wanted to leave some sort of legacy behind us. Um, and I don't think anyone wants to feel like they didn't do anything on this earth when they were here. So that was something that I was trying to search for. And so around when I was 18, um, this was when the presidential primary was going on in 2016. And Bernie Sanders was talking about free college and the youth was completely captivated by him. And for me, it was extremely frustrating because I did have a lot of friends who are also Republicans 
um, that went to the same church as me because most of my friends were from church. Um, and they were talking about how much student debt they had, how much tuition was costing them, how our parents and grandparents don't understand or can comprehend. Um, and they are just like, oh, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, young lad. And they don't really give it any more thought. But if you're actually looking into the data, it's just astronomical, the amounts of money that people are having to spend to go to college. And, you know, whether we like it or not, the college degree is the new high school diploma. And so there's a lot of things that you, you are kind of um, capped out as far as how much you can earn as a person if you don't go to college. Um, and so it's not something that is a, you know, something that you can just not do in a lot of cases. Uh, and so anyway, that's kind of a long tangent, but <laughs> I was frustrated about that. And I felt like on a federal level, nobody on the Republican side was giving a counter argument to what Bernie Sanders was talking about. There wasn't any major conversation about, okay, that's stupid. Free college is stupid, but this is our fiscally conservative policy solution to the, the administrative bloat in, uh, in higher education, to the rising costs, how the student loan companies are kind of in bed with, you know, and so forth. So that was just something that I was frustrated with. And I talked to my dad about it, kind of said something similar to what I was just saying to you now. And my dad basically said to me, well, Catherine, maybe instead of complaining about it, you should go out and do something and be that voice that you want to see. And so he thankfully knew a little bit about party politics and party structure. So he was like, hey, this is where your precinct meeting is going to be for the GOP and you should go. And so I was like, all right. <laughs> so I went and there was like two people there. And I had this resolution on higher education reform. And I was like, hey, I had this idea. And they were like, well, we have no power over anything, but let's pass it. And um, ended up passing that same resolution, much more detailed. And by the Harris County GOP, which is um, where the, the county that's Houston. And so it is one of the largest, I think the largest GOP in the nation. I can't confirm that off the top of my head, but it is one of the largest. Um, and so when that passed, I was like, all right, I want to continue to try to push this idea further. And so I ended up meeting the lady who was running to be my state rep at the time. It was an open seat, Republican seat. She was running and um, I met her at the polls and I was like, hey, I have this idea on higher ed. She ended up getting elected. And then the first house bill that she wrote in the Texas house as a freshman was on the idea that I had for higher ed reform. And at the time I was 18, I didn't have a college degree. I didn't have a GED. And it was the first time where I felt like you didn't have to be someone to make change, but you could just be any person. Um, and so it was kind of that light at the end of the tunnel for me where I felt like, okay, yeah, my life hasn't ended. Like um, there's, there actually are things that I could potentially do. And it made me feel like, all right, this is what I want to do. I want to be somebody who tries to find solutions for people. And so ultimately um, that's what got me involved in politics, but also that's what made me want to run for political office was that one person believing in my idea and changing my entire life. So that may be one of the most in-depth kind of answers we've gotten to that question. And I love every bit of that. Uh, I love the, the sense of purpose, uh, the, the discovery. It's, you could write a blockbuster movie off of this. I love it. Um, also, too, just kind of unpacking a little bit here or there. Your mom's a superhero. Uh, that must have been incredibly tough, as you said. So just, you know, it's very inspiring all around. And I'm, and I'm assuming, uh, since you are indeed running for the House of Representatives in North Carolina, I'm assuming education is going to be the top issue for you when you get to the <laughs> state house. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, higher education is something that the Republican caucus, the Republican legislators have actually been doing quite a bit on um, in North Carolina, which has been very, um, it's very positive. Um, so I'm really happy about that. Obviously, I think there's definitely more that can be done. I think there's always more that can be done. Um, we've only scratched the surface, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and so I'm looking forward to trying to come up with some more solutions on that. And in case I, I forgot to mention this, but I did end up getting my GED, by the way. Um, Good I, deal. Because of that whole situation and that lady and um, getting involved in politics, I was like, all right, let me get my crap together. And I ended up studying to get my GED on my own. 
and uh and then i moved to north carolina and um i've been going to community college online part-time working full-time so anyway in case people were wondering where that went (laughs) well that's a great segue to kind of knowing what you're doing now in north carolina uh since we've talked about your texas years so talking a little bit about being a young republican um leading you to move to north carolina um so walk us through a little bit about getting started in North Carolina. How did you, did you get involved with the YRs there? Uh, and what was kind of your entry point, if you will, into the, the NF, NCFYRs? Yeah, so um, I guess kind of going back a little bit further, um, I didn't know anything about what Young Republicans was when I was in the te- involved in the Texas GOP until I went to the Texas GOP convention in, was it 2016? I don't remember. Anyway, it was back then. <laughs> so, um, but I, I ran for RNC delegate as a nobody. I was just like, oh, what the heck? I'll run. But nobody you threw your hat in the ring. That's what counts. And nobody knew who I was. I ran. I got two votes, which you know what? That's actually pretty good considering no one knew who I was. But uh, then the Texas, G- Texas Young Republican chair came up to me after that. And he just happened to be in my district um, when I was running for that. And he was like, he gave me his card and he said, hey, I think that you should join the Young Republicans. And if he had never done that, I wouldn't have known what Young Republicans was at all. Uh, But because he did that, I got involved with the Houston Young Republicans. um, And then through that, they kept on talking about, hey, the National Young Republicans are going to have their summer quarterly meeting in Houston this year. So I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. I didn't know really what the National Young Republicans was. And I was just a local member and I was starting to get my feet wet with going to local meetings. That thing happened with that legislator. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to lobby these National Young Republicans on my higher education idea. So in a split second decision, I decided to buy my pay for my registration to go. And I went to the National Summer Meeting as just a local member. And uh, I met Matthew Hebb at that meeting, who was at the time the North Carolina state chair for young Republicans. And he, I lobbied him on my higher education idea. And we talked for like several hours and then we became best friends. Um, And so he was one of the, he's been my political mentor pretty much from the very start of my career. Um, And it was because I met him at that meeting. And so he and I became best friends um over i think we talked for like six months and then he was like hey i think that you should move to north carolina because you'd have a lot of great opportunities here and at the time the national committee woman for their state had resigned for some personal reasons and so there he was like i could put you on the board <laughs> so i was like all right you know what i'll try something new i just gotten out of a uh long-term relationship so i was like you know what i don't want to bump into this person's parents anymore at the grocery store on top of everything else so and i, I just wanted to have some fresh airs a new a new place to kind of put my um roots in and uh, i would never move back to texas i love texas but north carolina is my home now um and so anyway i was the national committee woman for the young Republicans in North Carolina for two terms. And, uh, and then I ran for state chair in 2019 against the incumbent chair Ooh. <laughs> and, uh, and then won. So, and it was not Matt. I ran against the, the one after him. <laughs> no, Matt's a great guy. Shout out to Matt. If he's listening now, yes. uh, great guy. Uh, congrats to all you've done for the YRs. And that's a really great story of just kind of how you went from Texas to North Carolina. Now, um, just in terms of sports loyalties, are you for the Panthers or are you for the Texans uh, in terms of football or anything like that? So you say that North Carolina's your new home. Does that still apply to say everything from regional cuisines to sports affiliations, what have you? So I'm not... So my dad is a bookworm, so we didn't watch sports at our home. So I don't really have any allegiances to any football teams, um, except for the fact that being from Houston, the Cowboys suck. That's just something (laughs) that we we universally agree on. Um, And then, I mean, the Texans are all right, but J.J. Watt left. So there's no reason for me to support them anymore. (laughs) How dare you defile America's team? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm a Patriots fan, so I've got no skin in the game. I just wanted, just wanted to quickly know. Um, 
so just tell us a little bit about underneath your tenure as YR chair of North Carolina. Tell us a little bit about how the state federation operates. How many chapters do you have? What's the general criteria for a club? And just in general, walk us through what the what you guys do down in North Carolina for those who may not be aware. Yeah. So when I first started running for chair and, you know, and then becoming chair, there was only eight chapters across the entire state and there's a hundred counties in North Carolina. And there was about 20 of them that were represented by a chapter at the time. And half of them didn't really meet. It was more of like a happy hour social club kind of situation. Um, And I came from the seeing how just successful and effective Texas YRs were. They were doing legislative action days. They were do, they were doing all sorts of things that I was like, man, this is really awesome. And I want to be a part of this change because that, that, that's what they, they gave purpose to why you should be involved in Young Republicans, which is what I was expecting when I moved here. Um, and there wasn't really as much of that going on because uh, I came, when I moved here, it was kind of when Matthew was exiting being chair. So I wasn't around when he was chair pretty much, but, um, but yeah, so it wasn't, there wasn't really much going on with it. And so I was just like, okay, I didn't move here for this. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the reason why I ended up running for chair was because I saw what, what young Republicans could be in another state. And I wanted to try to bring that to North Carolina. So I ran, I put about 15 or so thousand miles on my car and I started 11 chapters in seven months right before I ran or right before my election. Um, And then, so there was only eight, started 11 in the first seven months. And then now we have 32 chapters. And so those 32 chapters cover about 75-ish of the hundred counties at this moment, Um, going from about 20 when I started. So it's been a lot of work. Um, There's still a lot more work to do. I think the biggest issue that I think probably all states have, especially ones as big as Texas or North Carolina, is keeping people and then finding new people because you can start a bunch of these chapters, but if you don't have a good session plan, then it's going to die in the next year or so. So that's, that's probably our biggest area that we're trying to work on. So I would say, what are we doing in North Carolina? The biggest thing is um, starting new chapters. We're actually working on three new chapters as we speak over in the Northeast, because the Northeast has been kind of, you know, lacking, part, partially because it's so rural. Um, but, um, but yeah, we're trying to start to do more with legislative action days. Unfortunately, I got derailed last year with COVID because everything canceled on us. We would have had an amazing state convention on the U.S. USS Wilmington um, over in Wilmington on the battleship. That would have been badass. Would have been, yeah. Yeah, it got canceled. I was so mad. Anyway, so, but uh, but yeah, so we've been just you know traveling all over the state, trying to start new chapters, trying to build it up. Especially the last year, we've been very grassroots focused, knocking on thousands of doors. We did over a million voter contacts last year, which was. Um, our goal from YRNF was 500,000. We did 1.1 million. So I think that we did all right. Um, and then we, um, won eight out of the 10 races that we targeted last year. So pretty much what we've been doing over the last year has been primarily focused on making sure that we won North Carolina for Trump, that we kept our majority in our state legislature and didn't lose more than we have lost. So that, that was pretty much what we did the first year. Um, and then now it's more so since I'm in my second term, I'm really trying to focus on grooming and training the people that I think are probably going to take over after me to make sure that they understand how all of this works. Um, so that way it doesn't all crumble after I leave. Cause I feel like I put in a lot of effort. <laughs> so I don't want to see it all like kind of go away because people aren't doing the necessary steps. So that's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And especially since I'm running for office, it just kind of needs to happen anyway, regardless. Yeah, but just looking at the roster on your team right now, you've got a lot of talent uh, that's that's already working hard, knocking doors in North Carolina. I mean, you doubled the size of North Carolina underneath your tenure, which is all very impressive. And even so, you know, thinking a little bit, a little bit big picture, I mean, you know, Tom Tillis was able to hang on uh, partially in part to those 1.1 million voter contacts you all did. So, you know, definitely definitely no days off in North Carolina, it sounds like. So 
Nope. Yeah. And actually just a fun factoid. So the state, the NCGOP did 10, let's see, I can't remember exactly how many did they did. Oh yeah. They did 10 million voter contacts and our 1 million did was one tenth of all the voter contacts that the NCGOP did as a whole, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. So for every one voter contact for every 10 voter contacts, one was knocked by a YR. Yep. That's a pretty solid statistic to put on some marketing materials. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So before we get into your run for office, which is the big issue I want to talk to you about today, uh, just going back again to, you know, 2022, the North Carolina legislature is going to be coming back. Curious to know just some of your thoughts, what you're watching. Um, and what are some of the other priorities coming up for North Carolina young Republicans in 2022? What does 2022 look like uh, from a legislative perspective, but also political perspective? So I think the biggest thing, I guess, sort of legislative, um, we do have a lot of open seats in our legislature coming up in 2022. There's quite a few retirements. Um, some districts have gotten slightly more Republican than they were before. Um, And so we're trying to get more young Republicans to run for these seats. Um, So I know that's not directly legislative, um, but it sort of is. Um, But we do actually have a legislative session planned for the short session. Um, So that'll be sometime in March or April. And uh, so we're actually going to try to come up with, with our policy committee, some legislative priorities that we have based upon what we know is kind of be coming out of the legislative session um, but something that I would really like to see also is, um, is that some of our wires come up with ideas that are not already being thought of, um, just because we do have a Republican majority and hopefully we'll gain our supermajority back. We're off by a couple of seats, so it's, it's very attainable for us to get our supermajority back. And so I think it would be very strong since the Democrats are trying to say that they're the party of young people that if we're actually the ones giving the ideas to our legislators and they're making that into the legislation that's being passed, then they can actually use that to say that they're the party of young people and Democrats are not. So that's something that I would like to see us do more of with kind of providing some of those ideas from local YRs. And so hopefully we can get some of those gears turning. Um, But aside from that, um, my goal has been to charter all hundred counties um, and so I'm not too far off. <laughs> so hopefully we can get there um, completely. I've char- chartered the entire western part of the state. So um, now it's um, pretty much the eastern part of the state that I'm trying to work on. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my map here real quick for geographic reference. And, you know, there's a lot of counties in the eastern part of the state. So, again, kudos to all the work you've done. Same with, with your team, you know, unyielding, tireless work. Uh, I don't think that could be emphasized enough. So speaking of work, you're doing a little bit of your own. You're running for office. You're running for a state house of representatives seat. My first question to you is, is this your first time running for office? So no, it is not. So back in 2018, I was 21 and they had waived the one year residency requirement at the time. Um, So it was kind of a free for all in some places. Um, just because of redistricting. But in any case, the party wanted to recruit somebody, a Republican to run in every single district. And so I was in a, I can't even remember, I think it was like a D plus 12 district. The district had voted uh, 70% in favor of Hillary Clinton in the district that I was in. And they just wanted to have somebody that was on the ballot. So they asked me to run and I was like, all right, I'll do it. And so I, I, I did take it seriously though. I raised money and I did knock doors and I went to events, um, but I knew what I was walking into, you know, it just, you know, but I also wanted the experience. I think it helped me um, kind of get out of my shell with talking in front of people and actually getting a taste for what running for office for a legitimate seat would look like. Um, and so I actually appreciated that. Um, so, but yeah, that was the first time that I ran. So that was when I was 21, I'm now 25. Well, you got to learn how to walk before you run. So, yep. but that sounds like great experience, uh, you know, running in a D plus 12, um, you know, you know, give good kind of practice run for what you're doing right now. Um, you mentioned redistricting. Now, I believe today or yesterday, North Carolina just announced their new boundaries for their state house seats. I'm curious to know, um, in terms of what you were expecting before they announced it to now, did it change much? Are you still running in the district you were planning on running in? Curious to know. 
Yes, I'm still running in the same district that I was planning on running for. Um, The district has changed quite a bit, actually, just because there was um, there there still are three state house districts in Cabarrus County. Um, The state house rep that was representing um, parts of what I'm now representing is um, now he he got redistricted out. So he's only representing the other county, which is Stanley County and not Cabarrus and Stanley. So I've taken or the district that I'm running in, which is now 73, it was 83. Um, took in the parts that he had so it has midland mount pleasant harrisburg which is bordering charlotte and then also very little but there are some parts of concord still in it and just for for those who aren't familiar with north carolina uh, this seat that you're running for this is a uh, outer lying suburban seat outside charlotte is that correct yes okay yeah so it's an urban or it's like a suburban and rural district because there are parts of it that are more rural and is in it, how many people are you representing in this district? Should you win? So it would be about 90,000 people. That's a fair number. Yeah. It's a fair and number. yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. It's, you know, no pressure or anything. <laughs> so. Yeah. You'll be putting more miles on those shoes in that car for sure. Knocking on to get those 90,000 people to hear you and your message. And so I'm curious about your message. So where you're going out now, you're knocking doors right now, because unlike some of our other candidates, you are running in a competitive primary. Most of the candidates we've per, uh, already profiled have already gone past their primary. Um, and we're already the nominee just because we're focusing on Virginia for the past couple episodes. Now we're looking towards 2022. So curious to know what your message is, what you've been bringing to the voters and some of the reception you've received on either phone calls, events or doors you've already knocked. Yeah, so I would say as far as reception goes, it's been overwhelmingly positive at the doors. Um, I got invited into this one person's home for like over an hour and I talked to this disabled veteran and who is a part of their family. And that was it just it's stuff like that that just makes you realize why you're doing this. And then there was this older 81-year-old lady named Grace that I talked to and she prayed over me in her front yard and gave me some evangelical literature. She's definitely trying to convert me. Um, <laughs> but uh, but she took like 20 pieces of my literature and she was like, I'm going to tell my entire neighborhood to ro- to uh, to vote for you. Don't worry about this one next door. That's my daughter. She's going to vote for you. Uh, but, Already getting uh, volunteers. I love it. I know. I know. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been really awesome. And, uh, and so, I mean, I've only had one person tell me to F myself, but they also said F the Republican party. So I'm going to assume that they're not going to vote in the Republican primary. Um, so, but aside from that, it's, it's been overwhelmingly positive. The, the message that I've been running on has been, um, fighting against critical race theory, which obviously with my background, I feel like it, it's, it's, it's even more pronounced as to why I'm against critical race theory. Um, I'm very pro second amendment. I would love to see constitutional carry in the state of North Carolina. Um, this district is very pro second amendment and, uh, and then something else, obviously higher education reform. And, um, I'm trying to think of some other things that I I talk about. Um, but pretty much, I mean, critical race theory is, is one of the arguably the, the, the biggest issue when it comes to this district. Um, immigration is, but I have nothing, the state legislature has nothing to do with that. Um, and then, um, voter ID is something that keeps on getting, um, knocked out by the courts, but that is something that we voted on in 2018 that North Carolina overwhelmingly wants voter ID. So I'd love to do anything that I can to make sure that North Carolina has that. And we retain some election integrity. Now we saw in Virginia that critical race theory and issues with education, school voucher, school choice, um, being the top of mind, or should I say the second most popular issue behind the economy? That's what the exit poll said in Virginia. Are you seeing that as kind of similar to in North Carolina? And if so, do you think kind of a, a Yunkin VA GOP ticket approach is going to work in North Carolina? Or do you think it ha- it's a little bit different just given the state and its makeup? I mean, I definitely think that some of that will translate over into North Carolina just because especially in some of these more suburban districts, if, you're, if we want to get that suburban housewife to vote for us again, we just have to start talking about education. We have to start championing things that they actually care about that pertain to their day-to-day lives. And so I think, you know, whether or not you're Democrat or Republican, I think un- unless you're on the far left, I don't think that a lot of people want to see what people are trying to push in our schools. Um, and so I know our school board has done a lot to try to defend against that. 
Um, but some stuff still slips through the cracks. So we want to definitely make sure that that's not being taught. Nobody is above anybody else. Um, and it's, it's just very frustrating to see what people are trying to push on children that don't know any better. Yeah. And just remembering as a kid, whenever an adult tells you something, you usually take it as fact or you take it as an order. So, you know, there's certain things you could talk to, you know, or teach a child, um, you know, basically reading and writing at a very young age, but when they become a high schooler, they're able to think more, think, think more critically. So, you know, definitely hear that. Now, since this is a competitive primary, tell us a little bit about your opponents. Um, So is there a big field right now for the seat in terms of the Republican primary? Are you the only one running in the Republican primary? Uh, Tell us a little bit about that and when the primary is. Yeah. So the primary I'm pretty sure is March 9th um, and filing starts on December 6th ends December 17th. So it's coming up here pretty fast. Uh, But yeah, so I, uh, I do have one opponent currently, obviously I won't know if he's the only opponent until December 17th. Um, but as of right now, there is one other person and he is almost 70 years old, has no social media and uh, was a county commissioner about 20 years ago. Um, and so um, I just plan on outworking him, going out and talking to voters. Um, I would say about 50% of the population in Cabarrus County has moved here in the last 20 years. So I don't really think that that name recognition is going to translate over for him in the way I think he probably assumes. Um So I think as long as we can get out on the doors and talk to as many voters as possible and obviously be able to fundraise enough to do a couple of mailers for more, some of the more rural areas, I think that that's, what's going to determine this race. And you mentioned social, is that going to be an important kind of component to your strategy overall? Some people kind of wave off social media as a nice to have. Some people see social media as a must have. Curious to know in terms of your race, where you see it as. Well, I think that especially on Facebook, whether we like Facebook or not, I mean, that's where most of the politically engaged people are as far as whatever platform they use. So I don't know if it would be a critical component, but it's definitely the best way to get your message across if you're not using direct mail um, or, you know, TV, which the TV market in this area is so expensive because it's the Charlotte market. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not sure how much we're going to do with that, but definitely some direct mail. Um, and then having a very, very, very strong grassroots game. It may be, you know, some deployments from your friends from across the state to come in and help you, right? You know, hey, I would definitely not say no. So if anybody's <laughs> listening, please hit me up. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure if you provide lodging and pizza and drinks, people will come running. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can probably procure that. Yeah. So you know, for the voters out there who may be listening to this, uh, tell us why they should, uh, these voters should fill in the bubble next to your name come November 2022, as well as the primary you mentioned in March. What do you think that you could bring for your constituents that you could bring um, that are successes, that are things that are not being currently delivered to them right now? So I think probably the biggest thing is effectiveness. Um, the current state rep who's retiring passed one bill in five terms. So I think this particular district especially deserves a, a legislator who can actually bring forward what they care about. Um, I think that there's, um, you know, just if you have to be able to work together, whether or not you like to work together with the rest of your caucus, it's a necessary component to being an effective legislator. And I think that what I bring forward to the table as far as being the best person for this district is the fact that in my position as state chair for the Young Republicans, I've been able to um, elect, help and elect and reelect quite a few of the people that are in the state house um, and have developed a lot of great relationships with them where I've already have a pre-existing relationship where, you know, if I want to tell them, hey, I really care about this, that and this directly affect my constituents, that they're actually going to be willing to listen. And I don't have to wait a couple of years for them to build that respect. So I think that, you know, whether or not people look at that in a bad way, I think that I think that ultimately that actually makes me more effective. Um, And it's because I've built that respect. Um, And it's something that I've developed over the last six years of being involved. 
Um, and then I've also been very politically involved uh, when it comes to the GOP side of things. Um, so I think as far as like for the local party, they're going to have somebody who actually respects the need for a local party. And there's quite a few people that run for office that don't really understand party structure, don't understand why they even need to work with them or help them. Um, and so I already understand quite a few, quite a bit of that because I've I'm sit on our state central committee in our, my current position. So I understand how important that is and how critical that is. Um, and then the other, I guess the last thing that I would say is that I think that I bring a fresh perspective being a younger person, but also being a woman, um, being a minority. Um, there's quite a few different perspectives that comes with that. And I think the, you know, the average person that's in the legislature is quite a few years older than me. And I think that the legislature probably needs to have a couple of young folks in there um, just to diversify the opinion. And, you know, we grew up in a different type of age, a, a technology age, where there are some things that maybe from our life experiences, we would know to be an issue that maybe we should be bringing up that wouldn't even cross the mind of our older counterparts. Yeah. And, and a lot of people too, especially some of the older folks out there don't have an appreciation that our generation grew up during the time of not one, but two financial crises and a pandemic um, rising costs of just everything, including education. So it's great that we've got young voices that are stepping up to the plate and especially two female women, minority voices, such as yourself to bring that unique perspective uh, to legislative issues. So a few more questions before we go to our infamous um, rapid fire round. Um, just again, going back, you've mentioned already some of your your legislative interests, but if elected, what are some of your day one priorities? Yeah, so one of the things that I am interested in seeing if this is actually even something that's doable, obviously, once I get in there, they can tell me, okay, that's stupid and that won't work. Um, and then we'll kind of go from there and recalibrate. Uh, but something that came that I talked to some legislators about and they're like, hmm, that's an interesting idea. Um, was, and I think that any, everybody listening is probably going to be like, uh-huh, when I mentioned this, but textbook costs, um, and also how quickly they change the edition of a textbook and maybe a sentence or two of the textbook has changed. And now you can't resell your textbook for anything. And it's not worth a crap because they've already changed the edition. So you've spent all this money and now it's worth nothing. And so I find that extremely frustrating as I'm sure all of you do. And so something that I thought of that would potentially be an interesting way of handling this is that the legislature could potentially regulate that a certain percentage of the material of the textbook would have to have changed in order to justify mandating a new edition. So that was something that I, I don't know if that's something that's doable or not, but that was something that I had thought of um, and then something that I heard from somebody who had actually is a potential constituent, um, somebody that is a voter in this district, um, he works for the Charlotte PD, and uh, something that he mentioned just from being out in the field was that strangulation is a class H felony, which is one of the lowest felonies, and he made a very good point that, you know, typically if you're strangling someone, there's probably the intent to murder them, um, and if you don't kill them, then you should still get a much higher felony than a class H felony, considering that it's basically attempted murder. Um, and so something that he recommended was bringing up the felony charge for strangulation. So I think that that's probably a good thing um, for us to look into. Um, and then one other thing is, is that we have a pregnancy resource center here in this district, which is called Gate uh, Pregnancy Resource Center. They're a faith-based um, group. Um, they do a lot of great work here within the district and they haven't really gotten much in the way of funding. And so I would love to try to work to get them some more funding in the next budget. Outstanding already a very full agenda um, for what will potentially be your freshman term. Now, a few other questions. I know I, you're dying to get into the rapid fire round, but um, <laughs> just real quick. Any significant endorsements at this stage of the primary or no endorsements yet? So I've gotten, um, I guess, endorsements, sort of. Um, I mean, considering they were on my host committee for my kickoff fundraiser, I suppose it would be considered an endorsement. 
Um, but Representative John Hardister, who's the House Majority Whip of our State House, um, and also a young Republican, and our current National Committee Man for the North Carolina Young Republicans, um, is a supporter of mine, and he was my special guest at my kickoff. Um, some other people that some other state reps have also endorsed um, Representative Mark Kless, John Sauls, um, and then um, Ed Broyhill is our RNC National Committee Man for the NCGOP. Um, and so he is another person who is also a supporter of mine. So, um, and there, there's other people that I could mention, but I feel like those are probably some pretty good ones. That's a pretty solid roster. That's a very solid roster. A few sitting members of the, uh, the House of Representatives is always going to help. Um, what advice do you have for wires living in your region and beyond who want to make a difference, who want to step up to the plate to run for office, help knock doors for candidates? What advice, having you been someone who's done it all, uh, what advice do you have for them? So I would try to focus on one to three races and not more when it comes to volunteering for candidates, just because, and this is something that I kind of, you know, the same sort of rationale for young Republicans when we try to target races last year, every mother, Tom, Dick, and Harry is going to ask the young Republicans to help them. And we're not going to be very effective if we're helping a million different people. Um, but if we focus in on key races that are strategically important for us to help either retain the seat, gain the seat, um, if we're focusing in on those races, we could actually be the difference between them winning or losing. So as far as why ours within the region, I would say pick a couple, maybe even one person that you really believe in and just go all in. And you could literally be the difference between that person winning or losing, just, you know, try to help them in any way, even if it's not door knocking, maybe they need help with uh, putting together their next fundraiser. Maybe they need help with putting together walk books, you know, just whatever is your strong suit, making, um, making graphics, Lord, we need more people that can make graphics. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would just say, find somebody that you really believe in and focus in on them and maybe you can get them over the finish line. Yeah, and I'd be remiss to say that our chairman, Rick Lowry, has already proclaimed 2022 as the year of the young Republican. Uh, just last week, we were in Little Rock talking a little bit about YR's run. Um, and Catherine here, you're obviously a shining example for, for that initiative for the chairman. So again, kudos to you for stepping up to the plate to run. Um, one last question. Um, you know, you are a dynamo. You're doing everything. I'm curious to know, and I'm going to put on kind of my human resources interview hat here. Just do you have a five to 10 year plan? Um, anything, you know, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? Maybe a run for, you know, NC Senate governor, maybe. You know, what's funny is that there's quite a few people that are like, you know, I think you're going to be governor one day. And I'm like, I don't know about that, <laughs> but, um, but yes, so I, but I will say we have a fantastic congressman um, in my district, Congressman Richard Hudson, and um, I don't think that he's going to be retiring anytime soon. He's been doing a lot of great work, um, but if he were to ever retire, you know, that, that isn't something that I wouldn't not consider, some double negatives. In there. <laughs> um, but I do want to you know, actually put in the time in the house, um, to try to make some legitimate change. So I don't plan on just jumping ship whenever, like immediately, I would like to try to invest my time in that because the state house, you know, if we're going full circle is the reason kind of that I got involved in politics in the first place was because that state house rep believed in me. And so it's kind of, it would be pretty cool to be in that same type of position where somebody who's an 18 year old kid comes to you and is like, Hey, I have this idea. And you're like, all right, let's do it. You know? So I, that just really tickles me. Well, should you win, uh, we would love to have you back on to talk a little bit about your victory. And should you at all run for governor one day, we'd love to have <laughs> you then. And we hope you remember a little program when you're getting inaugurated and you have a lengthy list of shout outs, just, just remember us. All right. <laughs> oh, you already have my number. So you'll just be like, remember us in text. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. It's the infamous rapid fire round. Just again, right. we like to ask these questions just to kind of baseline all of our speakers, just a fun question, no particular order. I'm going to put a minute on the clock. Are you ready? All right. Well, we'll see how we do. All right, here we go. Favorite fast food chain? 
cookout. Favorite local restaurant in your neck of the woods? Two Gals Kitchen is awesome. You're at the bar with friends or colleagues. What appetizer do you order for the table? Uh, uh, oh, some different sort of dip. Last song you played on your Apple Spotify playlist? Bruno Mars, smoking out the window. Favorite sport or sports team? Don't hate me, Americans, but Formula One and Red Bull. Favorite political figure or role model? Matthew Hebb. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Uh, cats. Last movie you saw in theaters? I have no idea. And any upcoming vacation plans? My work actually is paying for a work retreat to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And they're, because I work for a like animal company pet screening. They call it the Meowton Retreat. Good job. You survived. Uh, Pigeon Ford, though, sounds fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't been to Tennessee in a long time. I was just there a little Actually, while no, ago. Actually, no, we were in Nashville like a two years ago or one year ago. I mean, yeah, you were you meeting. were there for that. I I wasn't last time I was there. I had a layover a few weeks back at the Nashville airport. Mm-hmm. Um, not as great as some other airports, I will say. I'm a bit spoiled, but you know, it's a, it's a good spot. Um, you know, I'm and I'm sure it's a fun town. We'll have to go there sometime. Maybe a quarterly there sometime. You never know. So. Yeah. Catherine, we've about to run up against time, but I want to give the floor to you. Do you have any shout outs you want to give folks? Anything else our listeners should know that we didn't already cover? Any announcements? The floor is yours and yours alone. Yeah, well, I just, first of all, appreciate the opportunity to speak to you guys. Some of you guys probably already know me. Some of you guys have never heard of me and you're like, oh, screw this person after this. Um, but I, you know, I would just say, you know, if, if you, and this is something, because Madison Cawthorn is one of our congressmen, so love him or hate him, but something that he says that I really appreciate is that people try to tell him to wait his turn. And he said, well, who's the person that I'm waiting behind? Who's this fictitious person? You know what? I'm going to run now and it's my turn now. So I, I feel like that's very inspirational. And I think a lot more people should think that way. So if you are interested in running for office, I think that you should do it. Um, and then as far as me, um, if you are interested in volunteering with my campaign, uh, my website is katherinewhiteford.com, which is C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-W-H-I-T-E-F-O-R-D, like the color in the car, whiteford.com. And um, you can, there's actually a volunteer tab. So if you guys are interested, would love to have you come down here because that's going to make the difference in this race. Um, and then my social media, Facebook and Instagram is Catherine E. Whiteford. And then Twitter is C.E. Whiteford because it didn't have enough space for my full name. <laughs> <laughs> well, that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Catherine. Can't wait to see what happens this March and in November. Um, I know you've got a lot of great things coming up. So keep up the great work. Continue to be an inspiration for us all. And uh, we hope to have you on soon with hopefully some good news. Awesome. I hope so too. Please keep me in your prayers, guys. (laughs) Take care. And that was Catherine Whiteford, everybody. We were so thankful to have her on the podcast this week, talk a little bit about her background and her race. We wish her all the best. And again, we hope to have her back someday. Give us an update about what's going on down in the great state of North Carolina. And folks, if you like what you heard, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. We're on virtually every platform that's out there. Make sure you give us a subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Make sure you're sharing this podcast with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way. Please check out our club's social media accounts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the podcast has its own Instagram account. It's at District Download. So, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope to see you next week.